This podcast is for mature adults and may contain explicit language. The members of this podcast opinions are solely based on their experiences, interactions, and life situations. It does not reflect the views of everyone. Viewer discretion is advised. Good afternoon. If you are tuning in, you are listening to Lee Peeped It. I want to remind viewers that you can contact us for questions or inquiries at wepeepedifirst at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at wepeepedifirst. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts in Anchor, and you can help contribute to this podcast monthly if you would like to help us sustain future episodes. So today's episode will be dedicated to the changes that need to happen in the classroom, what needs to happen in terms of what the students are learning, especially Black and Brown students. I will be interviewing a specific individual about how we need to stop institutional racism and how we will radically make that change. Now, before we get into this interview, I would like to actually read a quote from the book. It's a quote that I can connect with. It's a quote I feel people of color, black people can connect with, especially, you know, when it came to your schooling. I think everybody can relate some type of way, whether you are a minority in the classroom or the only black student in the classroom, whether you just weren't learning about your yourself enough. And I think it's important that I read uh, this quote because I feel like she highlighted some very important points. And I want you guys to go out and purchase this book, especially if you're an educator, especially if you're a parent, um, if you're in college, if you're going to get into teaching, if you are a non-black teacher, a non-person of color, it's important that you understand the changes that need to be made because we need to stop teaching that European model in schools. Black students are not learning about themselves and we continue to feed lies and it's not okay. Our educational system was designed by and for European American men. For years, school served only white males. Later, a few white females were admitted. The curricular focused on European American history, culture, perspective, experiences, and interests. Schools were established to promote European Americans and ensure their success by making claims about who they are and what they have achieved. Then they required everybody to go through their schools being taught the same curriculum in the same way, whether it supported you or your needs or not. Everybody else leaves those schools thinking no other ethnic group contributes or ever contributed in positive ways to this country or the world. This is one of the many lies we tell and is a form of racism. When one so-called race claims superiority over another and has the power to legalize it at the same time, the behavior is oppressive as well. And that quote is from Dr. Betty Haysbert, who I will be interviewing today. She happens to be family, and I am very excited that she is here interviewing with me um, today. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm glad 
that you're here. And I'm glad that we get to talk about it. And I'm excited that your book has been published because it's time to make that shift in education. <laughs> and see and hear you again, my love. <laughs> yes. Thank you for joining us today. You know, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Yes, I am excited <laughs> that we're doing this interview today. Yes. Now, you recently just published a new book and you can purchase that on Amazon, correct? That's correct. Now, can you tell our viewers what the name of your book is? Yes, it's called Liberating Teaching and Learning. Turn it upside down and watch African-Americans, all learners soar. Nice. So tell us, um, I've got a chance to read the book and I must say I truly enjoy the book. It is really easy, you know, to follow and, yes. and it's exciting. I love the content in the book. Um, but something that stood out was you talked about, um, you know, a little bit about your upbringing and going to a segregated school. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yes. Um, I lived in Louisiana, out from Shreveport, and we were in the country and went to a country school that was segregated. And our teachers and administrators lived in our communities with us. And it was actually a very rich learning experience. However, I didn't recognize that until much later on. But rich meaning that at that time, our teachers were totally invested in us learning and doing better in life than our parents. That was like the thought that you had. That's what you operated with, that you had to do better than your, your parents because, you know, your opportunities were better. And so our teachers and our principals were committed. And of course, you, you probably had, and we probably had some that weren't that committed, but not many people were not committed to helping us achieve the, what we needed to achieve so that we can move up in life. So it was a really good experience. Oh, and by the way, and also we learned a lot uh, about our history, which was very different. So when I had the opportunity to, to go from the country to a school in California, my sister Eloise invited me out to stay with them for a while, and for the seventh and eighth grade, I went to California. Well, it was actually, um, that was when I realized we weren't taught black history in other schools. And so we had a, a really nice advantage in that regard too. Right, now what, what exactly inspired you to write this book? Well, when I finished, I went to Grambling College, and when I finished I, college, I came to California, and California, I was in San Francisco, and they were needing teachers in special education, and of course, I didn't know much, I didn't know anything about special education, but I went ahead and, you know, where they were paying us to, to get our credential, and my sister Clifford and I were together, and they plan. They wanted us to have our credentials, so they paid for that. They wanted us to get um, certification in special education because they needed teachers that badly. So we went ahead and we did that, so we got these jobs immediately. Well, what I realized was when I started teaching in these special education classes that there were 
nothing but African-Americans uh, and Latinos and maybe, you know, one or two others. And so I realized that as I worked with these learners that they weren't educably mentally handicapped is what they were calling them then, that indeed they didn't have reading skills and they didn't have math skills. And so that became an issue that kind of started me on my way because there were like four of these little kids in my class who were of the same family. There were, there were two sets of cousins and they were from Louisiana. So they had a little tug at my heart. And when I worked with them, they, they learned very quickly. And, and so it was just apparent to me that it wasn't about them being mentally handicapped. They didn't have the skills. So it, it was actually the seed that was planted that started me to look at the system a little bit because we also some teachers and I a couple of teachers and I tried to get the name changed we were saying well we'll keep the kids in our classes but don't call them educably mentally handicapped and the right um, the system said to us and this is what they really said to us that they were not going to change the name because they wouldn't get the funding now, that was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. So I was just dumbfounded and started to become kind of upset with the system using our children in that way. So right. from there, I went about, I decided then that I was going to prove that it is not our children that's the problem. It is the way the educational system is set up. So that intention was put out there. That goal was put out there and things began to come into play to help me with that, including this book. This is like the final stage of it, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's what inspired me is to change the system, uh, check the system out and find out what's going on with the system and then do something to change it. So the time is, is, is perfect right now. It's, it seems to be pretty ripe for change. Yes, that uh, that. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that this book came out at the right time because I feel like it's very um, informative, but I also feel like you have called out quite a few people <laughs> as well. You've kind of, you've exposed the mm -hmm. system. And I, I think this is the perfect time because I feel like everybody has that mindset where they're like, you know, enough is enough. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're fed up on all levels. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And you know what, Leandra, we had, my son helped me in trying to get at the book put together on the uh, in the editing and in that stage and the interior etc and so we had really wanted to have this book published in October of last year and if not October it had to be out we thought in November well there was such a mess up with our book we just couldn't get that book uh, interior design done properly and so around Thanksgiving, we just decided, leave it alone. Just just leave it alone. In December, I decided I'm not going back to the book. I'll just leave it. So by mid-January of this year, I went back to it. And again, I couldn't find the right people, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, it didn't, God didn't have it um, in mind to be printed then. It had to be printed now. And it was actually printed June 1st right after George Floyd's incident. Oh, so wow. it was, yeah, it was just amazing when I realized that. And it took me a minute 
to realize it was around April, I began to think, wow, then when I finally got the right people to help me, I thought this is what I was waiting for is these people because they were so good with handling the interior and et cetera, et cetera. So when that happened, when the book was published though, on June the 1st, I thought, my goodness, this is exactly when it had to happen. Yes, that's, that's good. You know, everything happens, you know, for <laughs> a reason. And God was like, this is the time that this book needs to come out. Needs to come out. <laughs> he had a plan for you. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Him because his plan was much better than mine. Because this book right. would not have been as meaningful had it come out in November as it has, as the meaning has now. Now, my question is for people who are interested, um, you know, in buying your book is 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 this book specifically for a specific person because I know on the book is you know it says African American and it says mm-hmm. all learners but it also is for teachers as well and um, is, is this the specific specific group though that you're really focusing on and you want them to really take this content serious yes I I want this is for teachers because I'm a teacher and I wrote this book for teachers because teachers and learners mm-hmm. because we have been schools have been the maintaining the same structure for the most part since they were they were started in the 17th and 1600 right so i'm saying this is time for us to make this massive change and 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 stop teaching putting these responsibilities on teachers where they feel like they need to be everything to everybody that's impossible they can't do that and the Change models, and I participate in a lot of school change models, have always been coming from the outside into the classroom. But the rubber meets the road between the teachers and the learners. So if they began to work together and fashion uh, a classroom structure that is supportive of both of them, where they're planning and teaching together, the, the results are going to be much, much greater. And they can do it very quickly because they are there planning and teaching together something that they do every day. And so when when they do that, they actually move themselves into 21st century teaching and learning because the teacher gets out of, out of the way and becomes a facilitator instead of a controller and a punisher, which we've made them be now. It's not their fault. It's not our fault. This is how right. we structure, um, you know, our, our professional development and our teacher training is that they have to be responsible for everything that everybody and every situation that comes into the classroom. When we give that responsibility to learners and they work in teams is what I recommend, then learners take charge of their own learning. And when you do that, you become independent learners and you become lifelong edu- self-educators. And that's what we want to have happen. And, and that means they're self-empowering as well. So, um, yeah, so teachers, by all means, parents and young children. In fact, it's one of the reasons I didn't put a, a minimum age on it. And the reason that the print is a little large and repeating things um, in, in the way that I repeat them is because I want young people to read this book young right but i don't care what age but Mm -hmm. yes everybody can read this book because it's about changing the way we teach and learn 
So teachers can encourage and parents can encourage and learners can encourage because you know, in our, in our country, the young people have been the, the ones who actually been responsible for social change in our country. And so right. they can take the lead in this as well. Once we, they know that we expect them to start doing that and that they have the, they have the right to do it, then they, and they have a model by which they can begin to look at, even if they don't use this, all they've got to do is be, be told that you can do this. And some people will ask me, let me say this, people will ask, well, isn't there a curriculum that the state and the uh, district put out that teachers have to teach? Well, one of the things, two things I'll say about that is that we have followed those directives for the last hundreds of so years, and it hasn't worked for us. Now, I'm not saying that we try to create um, conflict between the district, et cetera, but we really do need to reevaluate what we're teaching and, of course, how we're teaching. So teachers, learners need to learn the things that are going to be important to them. That's 21st century learning. That's relevancy. And they need to be able to decide with a teacher how to make that happen in their particular classroom. So yes, there are things that, that the teacher needs to teach. And when the teacher needs to teach those things, then she gives the learners the choice of how to learn it. It ha- can't be anymore where I do a one-size-fits-all kind of instruction in my classroom. That just doesn't work. It doesn't work outside, but we think it ought to work inside. No, allow the learners to decide how they want to learn it, and they'll really learn it a lot faster. And I mean really learn it so they'll retain it. And we don't have to repeat things so much because they then have taken it and put it where it needs to be for them. So they take it to their level of learning and they move up from there. So you don't have to be doing all the scaffolding and all of these, some of these techniques that we use, we really don't have to do it when we really allow the learner to decide how they want to learn something. That's the freedom that we need to give them if the teacher has to teach something. And particularly around skills, the teachers might want to teach certain skills well, if you're teaching right. certain writing skills, then you don't you just allow the learner to write what they want to write about. You don't tell them, well, you write about this. No, let them have that choice. And so that's what we're talking about here, choice in the classroom. So learners can bring the, the learning into a situation that's of relevance to them because the teacher can't do that. She can't differentiate every lesson for every child, but the child can do it for him or herself while they're also individualizing the lesson. When they do that, they're doing multicultural education because they're bringing in their history, their culture, and and also their interest. So when they differentiate that that education, when they make those choices, that education is differentiated in ways that teachers never could do that because we just don't know the children that well. Right. So Yeah. So everybody can read this book by all means. And I want them to do that because it's really about change, changing the classroom right. radically and quickly. Right. I like that. Now, I had a few questions. You mentioned, um, you know, you stated in your book that there are quite a few teachers that are in the classroom that aren't really qualified to be in that classroom, especially when it comes to black and brown children and their Mm -hmm. connection with them and the things that they're teaching. So my question was, how does a teacher with that conventional 
European teaching mindset change their ways after, you know, teaching that way for so long, especially if they're not open? How do do we change that mindset? How do we stop that? Well, I think the quickest way to do it is, is exactly liberating teaching and learning because what they do is they allow learners to be themselves and they allow the learners to show them who they are. They often don't know who the learners are. So when they step back, those learners, those teachers step back and let those little learners come forth, they mm-hmm. can show them who they are and they begin to change their perceptions and, ex- and most importantly, their expectations of them. And not only mm-hmm. will the teacher change, but the students will change because they see these learners in a very different way. Many of our children, African-American children, are socialized to believe that they can't learn, that they don't know how to behave, and that they are punished for everything uh, to a disproportionate amount than any other child in our school systems across this nation. So when teachers begin to see learners in a different way, they will change their opinions about who they are and what they can do. But, they, but the learners are going to have to show them. The teachers, we can't do it with teachers. We've done it long enough. And believe me, it's easier on us. We don't want to have to try to plan for everybody in every way. That's not even sensible anymore. Plus, it's not 21st century right. teaching. <laughs> right, right. And then also, do you think it would be effective? Because, you know, I've, I've also, I've worked in settings where, I'm the minority and I know a lot of other teachers or people who work in education feel that way too, where these mm-hmm. institutions need to start hiring more teachers of color, more faculty, more mm-hmm. staff that are mm-hmm. of color and that come from the backgrounds that those students come from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it, the research shows that students do well when they have a teacher that looks like them. That's just plain and simple. So think about it. If you've got, if 80% of our teachers are European-Americans, so the likelihood of European-American students seeing a teacher that looks like them already gives them an up. Because if if the research shows that you're going to do better when you see a teacher that looks like you, then you already have a leg up because you have 80% of the teachers looking like you. So yeah, absolutely, that's important. And the thing that, that I am trying to do with liberating teaching and learning is just cut through all of the issues about what we need to do outside of that classroom because we're going back to this system that isn't designed to support us. And they're not going to necessarily change to the extent that we want them to, especially, I mean, we've seen, we've got history here. So we're, so I'm saying just get in there. You take charge learners. You do what you, you know you can do. You work with your teachers, and when I say take charge, I don't mean trying to overthrow the teacher, but you work with your teachers. Let you let your teachers know what you want to do and what you want to learn, and if show them the book, read the book so that you can have some background information for why this is important and how it can work, and it can work with right. teachers. This is professional development for teachers. When they see yes, and I- learn it. Go ahead. Yes, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like it. And I like that you've presented it, you know, in a book because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so I've I've had teacher or professional development before. And like you said, it's, uh, you know, that conventional European type of structure that they like to follow, even when they're teaching, you know, teachers how mm-hmm. they should, you know, perform in the classroom or if they're training you while you're in the classroom, it's 
based on what they've learned from exactly. European institutions. <laughs> exactly. And some and Because some, I yeah. Go ahead. Well, in some classroom that may not be your classroom. Your classrooms are different, and so you may get the knowledge in the setting, but you might not be able to go and use that in your classroom for a number of reasons. So that's yes. why that's right. why I decided professional development should be done. That's the other thing that we're flipping. Professional development that teachers are required to have, and I call it teacher learning workshops. When they, when there's something that needs to be taught to teachers, that teachers need to use with learners, the learners need to be with her or him, because the learners right. will get it so much faster. And it isn't left up to the teacher. You see, the reason I call these learners learners instead of students. Because it sort of infers, if you say learners, that these people know how to learn, that they learn more than just in that classroom as a student. So right. allow them to use those that knowledge and those experiences they have to grow and to help others around them to grow and to, and to help the teacher learn who they are and how they learn best and, and things that they are interested in. So we want the professional development to be done with the learners. That's what we're saying. That's what makes sense. Because if you, if you, I've, I've provided professional development with teachers. I've taught teachers at the college level. I've coached teachers. I've been a teacher. And one of the things that we complain about is we go to these professional development sessions and then we come back. We might be able to start off with, and some people are not, but if I don't have coaches, if I don't have enough um, support to keep that going, and I'm really working hard to try to keep it, to do it, then I don't, if I can't do it, I leave it and the kids lose. But if the kids are with you, they know what to do and you can get that done in a second. Right. Yes. It's, it's, it's interesting that you, you, you touch on that and you say that, cause I, I can recall many times where I've had like a different strategy or a different approach to what mm-hmm. I want to do in the classroom or an alternative way from what's considered the so-called, you know, no norm. And it, they were against it or opposed. And it's like, in, in my, and it's funny because it's like, you know, I, I'm a black teacher going to the classroom and majority of the people who work at whatever these institutions yes. are, are mm-hmm. not black yeah. people are not people of color. And it's like, That's I think right. I could connect better to black and brown students than you could. So I think I would know how to approach it just based off of the schooling that I got as, you know, a black kid in the classroom. I think I would know how to approach it differently, but they're kind of opposed to any new idea or new concept. (laughs) And and you're absolutely right. That's why, Leandra, I'm saying circumvent all of that. Learners, I want parents, I want learners to know this and go into that classroom, talk about 21st century learning, talk about your needs. It is very clear. We would not be in the situation that we're in now if we wouldn't be working in and sending our children through the most racist institution in the nation, mm-hmm. which is our school. And that yeah. is a fact because people would know about things that are going on. You would get to know the people in your classroom and you would get to, to hear other people's history. The lies have to stop. We can't depend on, on European Americans to decide, well, okay, we're going to just stop these lies. Many times they don't even know what the lies are. So as we don't sometimes, but Everybody's right, truth. right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So everybody's truth needs to come out. So if you allow learners to choose what they want to know, they'll learn about their history. And when they teach others, because they're becoming teachers as well, 
when they teach others, then others learn. And so learning happens exponentially. It is just a wonderful experience. I use this um, fairly often with my adult teachers in different parts of the world when I taught. Yes, I, yes, I agree. And when I was reading this, I was, I was thinking like, this is perfect for parents because I was thinking Mm -hmm. that like, you want to set the bar high for your child and you want to have high expectations. And when I say high expectations, you want to have high expectations for that institution when it comes to what they're teaching your child. And it's like, this is the perfect book for a parent, especially a black parent, a person of color to read. So when it, so whenever you make the decision to have a child or if your child, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're, if they're in a certain institution right now that you don't necessarily like, like you can, you know, figure out what you want to do early, like what changes need to be made. (laughs) Exactly. And, and don't, well, and don't be afraid. Don't listen. Education hasn't worked for us. And Carter G. Woodson talked about what needs to happen with education back in 1933. So we don't, it needs to start with the learning. We can't expect that the, the oppressor is going to lift us up to a level or elevate us to their level we have to do that ourselves. We have to demand that that be done. And it can easily happen this way. So we don't have to go to them and ask for nothing. Because right now, people are more, more open than ever before. But you still got the system staunchly in place. So you've got to try to unravel too much time. Because what we need is what things to change in the classroom. So we don't need to be going to this stuff outside of the classroom. And there are going to be people who are not going to want to do this. Teachers, even though, even though it right. would be easier and their children would learn better. That's right. okay. That's okay. But there are lots of them who will be ready and eager. I've already had them say to me, some of my retired friends are saying, yeah. oh, I wish I had this when I was in, 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 a, yes. in a classroom. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But no, I, I like it. Of course, like you said, you're going to have people who are going to stick with that conservative way and they're not going to be ready for the information that you have provided yes in this book <laughs> they're and not going to be able to handle it <laughs> exactly but you know what they don't it's not really left up to them and that's what we're talking about here they're going to have to move aside because first of all it's 21st century teaching that we're talking about teaching and learning that we're talking about so the the, the students will help them and we don't want to lose we're not talking about bashing the teacher, but you need to move aside and just let the students be and they will plan it. And I'm telling you, these kids have, they plan things that are far more complex in their outside world than how to change, how to do a lesson in this classroom. Please believe me. So they're equipped to do the, do the planning. Yeah. Right. And you also mentioned in the book that, you know, these kids, especially black and brown kids are in this class and you're learning about these white people and they're sitting there thinking that they're the only people that have contributed to anything in the world and that we, we have no contribution at all. And I love that because I think to myself, like, if, you know, if you're not a black person, if you know, you're not of color Mm -hmm. and you don't know enough about our history black history which is mm-hmm. our history that's right. just our history our history period <laughs> that's right how can you teach a, a black and brown student about themselves and it was funny because i had a conversation with uh, another friend of mine 
who works in education. And she recalled a time where she was in class and the teacher didn't know any black history. And she would question her teacher, like, you don't know this. How do you not know this? And it's like, you need to be open. Like you said, like (laughs) teachers aren't heroes. They don't know every single thing. You could definitely learn from a student who comes from a different background, especially because majority of them don't know the black history. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the key. And actually they don't. And I, and I would say they don't know their own history. I mean, they they know what they're being told. Which is which is right. a lot of lies. We know it's a lot of that are of those things that they're told are lies. So we need to straighten the whole thing out, and the learners can do it. The learners and the teachers working together can make this happen quickly. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and then I had I I had another question also too because you mentioned you know your upbringing and how you went to a segregated school and you were learning about yourself. You had teachers that obviously looked like yourself during that time yes. period. Yes. And I um I was looking into HBCUs and Brown versus the Board of Education came up. So you know, mm. do you think that's really when the sh- that's when the shift happened when we decided to integrate? Because I feel like I had this conversation with my grandmother as well. I was like, I feel like you learned more about yourself. But as I talked to some of my peers and I talked, I see older adults, a lot of them are like, wow, I didn't know this. Like, this is part of our history. I feel failed. I feel mm-hmm. let down. Right. So I feel like right. after we we integrated, like we integrated, but at the same time, we still weren't learning about ourselves. At the same time, we're still dealing with discrimination. We're still dealing with injustice all in the ca- the classroom. Yes, absolutely. Because these schools were started by white men or white yes. men. And I mean, for white men and then women, white women came on board and, and, and they came on board. We came on board. Nothing shifted. Nothing shifted. So their culture, their history, the way they learn prevail and it still prevail. So, yes, I mean, it. I mean, we just went into those schools uh, because we thought resources were better and, and other ways and other things. I don't want to sell this and do uh, a short too short of a shortcut on this explanation, but. No, things did not change when we went into those classrooms. We started learning about them. You go into the system. You, If you don't change it, you maintain right. it. Right. So we just went in there and started learning whatever they were learning, thinking we were getting um, you know, more resources and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But no, I think that was the beginning of things that kind of the letdown of things. Now, all grant you, our schools were not heavily resourced. We didn't right. have a lot of resources. No, but we, we still found a way it. to educate yourself and learn and get ahead, Absolutely. even without those resources. And that yeah. it's it's funny that you say that because I read in your book you're like, you can still do this without those resources. Absolutely, you don't need all of that. Absolutely, because learning takes place everywhere. And people can learn from each other if we if we get away from this control method that the white people set up originally and allow freedom to occur in the classroom and learning to come from all places in the classroom, you learn much faster. And then you're able to do things in your life that are different. You can thrive instead of just trying to survive. And you can help your community to thrive as well. You then you in that classroom get to make choices about what you want to do to to empower you and others around you and that's the difference that's the difference we're not doing that now you're you're going into the classroom and you have to sit and and receive what is being offered to you and teachers i tell you this will change the game for you 
because you do not have to be everything to everybody. You don't know everything under the sun. You cannot take care of all the diverse needs that come into those classrooms. And there are issues like homelessness and et cetera. When those learners work in teams, they not only are looking at the academic goals, they're looking at social goals. So they're helping those learners figure out ways to, to navigate their lives when they leave those classrooms. Because sometimes when we as teachers get so busy, we don't know we have homeless children in our classrooms. We don't know we have kids who are hungry, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes we don't know that. But if they are working in strong teams, those learners get to help each other. They get to know who the, each other, know each other, and assist each other in ways that we teachers could never do. And learners need to, they deserve better. Teachers deserve, deserve better. We've just, right. this is a, diff, this is a, a, this system just doesn't work anymore for anybody, hardly. But particularly people of color. Right. We just, we just came in and stacked ourselves on top of this uh, system that was designed for somebody else. And uh, it just keeps this, this racism and this, this um, oppression going based on what we're teaching and how we're behaving toward people. And that's just, we just can't do it anymore. And, you know, and we, we talk about the white people doing the only learners in, in the country and only, you know, did all these wonderful things. Nobody did anything else. So we have to correct those things so people can know who each other is and um, appreciate us in a different way. Right. I, I, I agree. Now I wanted to backtrack a little bit. Now you, you opened your um, book kind of with a quote and it said when spider webs unite they can tie up a lion mm-hmm. now, I thought that was beautiful can you tell me why you chose to kind of lead with that because I yes I wanted I want students parents um, teachers to know that if you when you're trying to do something and you do it together you have much more strength than you're trying to. And this this is for the teacher and the learner in the classroom for one thing. It, you do that together. You work together as a team. You will, I mean, you will, the achievement will be just amazing. And then on the level of, of African-Americans in, in, in the community, when we unite, we can tie up a lion. We can just make massive things happen. Anybody, the teams that are working in the classrooms, when they unite, they can make achievement far greater for each of those team members. So anywhere that you're working and you're trying to get something done, bring it together, unite it, and you can do wonders. That's why I want, because I want to set the tone that that you don't, you're not in this by yourself. Teachers, you're not in this by yourself. Learners, you're not in this by yourself. Parents, uh, if you notice in my dedication to parents, I talk about how mm-hmm. we, um, we, we're discriminated against every day. Every day we're, we're fighting racism because it's everywhere. And all of these obstacles, and still we rise. So those parents need to be given credit for all of the things they have to go through each day. And sometimes they're compared to European-American parents. Well, that's no comparison there. So I want people to know, just unite around the fact that you're going to, we're going to teach our children differently. We're going to help our teachers do that differently and free up education, change it after centuries, 17th centuries is when it started. So 
change it finally in a way that is freeing to all learners and all teachers and people involved in that learning experience. Yes. And it's, you you know, we speak a lot about the 17th century and you had this photo and Mm -hmm. in that photo, it was this uh, teacher, you know, standing at the front of the classroom and then the students, you know, sitting in the chairs stacked Mm -hmm. in my mind and raising their hands. Yeah. Yeah. And in my mind, I also, (laughs) why I kind of took away from it, even though it was, you know, white boys, obviously, because at the, at that time, like you mentioned Mm -hmm. that, only white men were going to school. But when I think about like certain black kids or the, or us being kind of the minority in the classroom, to me, it kind of is like a slave master mentality. Like I'm the head, like everything I say goes. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was and is when we, when we use that model, that's exactly what it is. That's why I was saying earlier that we are indoctrinated because we decide what goes in and what comes out. And not only that, we want to, when you, when you put it out, we also say you have to put it out this way. And it's always something that like writing and, and that kind of thing, right? You got to write something or you got a, uh, a book that you got to, uh, what are those little books that we used to write in the little workbooks that you put something in? I mean, it just always, you got to do mm-hmm. it this way as opposed to allowing them to show you what they know. That's a much bigger concept show me what you know. That's rich. One time, this is when I was teaching in in Kuwait. I had this, it was a really very large class. And so I would go there uh, to teach as an adjunct professor with the College of New Jersey in their global program. And I would be teaching teachers. So teachers would come from different locations to this one school and we would teach them and I, I use this cooperative learning strategy a lot, and especially in situations like that, because we have to teach a lot of stuff in a short a period of time. So then learners learn better when they are helping each other to learn. And so at the end of this lesson and this class, I had them to show what they knew. And I knew that they were going to be a little skeptical that that kind of thing wasn't happening with them. So they wanted to know the guidelines. They just didn't trust themselves. Oh, well, do you want it looking like this? Or do you want it looking like that? No, just show me, just relax and just do it. I tell you, we had such dynamic presentations. It was unreal. And everybody, they were all different. That's what was made it so wonderful. And And this one, stands out to me even today. In this one group, this this young lady hardly spoke at all. And finally, at the end, you know, and I'm kind of watching, you know, because you want to have your learners participating in these groups and you want to make sure that they're working interdependently. And so at the end of, at her presentation, she stood up and she sang the song, sung the song. She had taken all of her, the knowledge she gained, the skills, and she put them in the lyric that she sung to her national anthem in Australia. It was unbelievable. We didn't, before she could sit down, we were all standing clapping because she had woven all of that that she had learned into these lyrics. It was amazing. So you just get all kinds of amazing things. And so that's an example of how you learn who your learners are. Now, for, unfortunately, for me, it was at the end, and I hadn't, I didn't get to know her that about her. And then she, 
absolutely brought her status up in that classroom because my voice was gorgeous. And then to be able to do that, you you take different you take a different look at your learners when they show you what they know and what they can do, and even even when, what they're interested in, actually. So yeah, it's um, it's amazing stuff. This is a a really unique opportunity for us to do something right. powerful. Yes, and you, you, you spoke on um, teachers, you know, taking the time to get to know their students, establishing that rapport, and you mentioned that, and then I thought I instantly thought to myself, and it was actually on the next page, mm-hmm. but you you were. Um, you, you were saying like, what aspect of your culture are you most or least proud of? And I thought, like I said, I thought to myself before I saw what you said on the next page and I was thinking it is so important for especially, you know, European American teachers to mm-hmm. talk about what they're, they're least proud of to acknowledge their privilege. Yes. Because I think a lot more students of color, I just think a lot more students, you know, overall would have much more respect for you if you would acknowledge that. And I just think people in general, mm-hmm. if you would acknowledge the privilege that you have in this country, people would have mm-hmm. a little bit more <laughs> respect for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I must say that I am um, hopeful with what I'm yes. seeing. Yeah. I'm hopeful with what I'm seeing. So, and it's a, you know, it's sometimes it can be a hard conversation, but we must have it. And we must be allowed to say what we need to say. Everybody has a role to play in this. And uh, you, we must allow people to do what they need to do in order to um, bring light to these situations because they've got to change. We just we can't go on like this. And racism is everywhere. I talk about, um, what's her name? Um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Um, Martina Smith. I talk about her in the book when she wrote this article, racism is everywhere. So any system that we're operating in, it has been structured not for us. So it has to be against us. And it, that's, that's a system that needs to change. So many of our systems need to change. And especially, you know, the major systems that deal with a lot of all of us, like our schools and and uh, you know our police uh, systems and um, our church, our religious systems, and we need to take a look at all of those systems that were put, that were set up before we were thought of as um, un- somebody to plan around to support. In fact, I don't know if that's really ever happened, but yeah, we're, they're all. It's all in those systems, right? Now you mentioned, um, or actually, the we see the word "sore," you know, all throughout the book. Which you know, is sore? Mm-hmm. That's, yes, yes. You know, we mm-hmm. see that all throughout. You yes. know, the book. That's a word that we see. Now, can you can you define that well, for sore, us? Well, my definition for sore would be that you are elevating, rising high above where you are, just free, unobstructed height, freedom. That's what I see as soaring, just up there flying, like the, those birds that are coming out of that cage. Right. On the cover of my book, 
That's right. what I'm that's what I'm thinking. They're just going straight up, unobstructed. They're breaking out of these uh, narrow confines that, that we've been in, and we're now soaring up, going high, rising. That's what I mean when I say soar. Yes, I agree. And I was um as I was reading this, because you know my sister is staying with me through this okay. <laughs> quarantine. I was just kind of ask, yeah, I was asking her about her, you know, experiences in the classroom. And I was asking her yes. just certain questions. Like if you were given the opportunity to change a lesson plan or to work with your teacher on a lesson plan, would you do it? And she uh-huh. just was talking about, cause she, you know, she switched school. She went to a school that she thought was a better fit okay. for herself. And mm-hmm. we, we, t- I, you know, I asked her, I said, has there ever been a moment in the classroom where you were doing an activity and your teacher told you, this is the only way mm-hmm. that you, this is the only way it can be done. Like you have to do mm-hmm. it my exact way, use my exact steps, mm-hmm. knowing that there might be another way that you could do the problem to get to, to get the same answer. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, there's been times where the teacher was like, will, t- will tell me, no, that's wrong. Cause you have to follow my steps knowing mm-hmm. that there could be mm-hmm. a variety of different ways you could get that same problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that's, <laughs> and it happens a lot in math because we've been yeah. trained to teach math in a very analytical right. way. And when you do something different, it's like, oh, no, that's not math. So all of those kinds of things will have to be, um, those are ways that teachers will learn how to, uh, places and times when teachers will learn how to do things differently without having to be challenged so much about it. Because let me give you an example. When I asked the young kids in the book, and I, I put them in the book, they were so wonderful. Oh, um, yeah, I love that. A, yes, yeah. from a four-year-old up to uh, 16, I think they were. And I was asking them, well, how would you, are there lessons that you would change? Or, or how would you change them? And they were they were on it. Right away, they were able to change, to say something, how they would do it differently. It was just wonderful. So young, this young man had, um, I think, what was, I don't know how many was, he was fifth, sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade. I guess he was sixth grade. And he had an opportunity to, smart, smart young man, of course. And the teacher was teaching decimals. And so he was able to show how to do that problem in a different way. And his teacher, fortunately, was fine with that and allowed the students to use his model if, she, if they wanted to. So absolutely, there are always other ways to do things. It's just the way, you know, we've been taught. And that's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge that we're going to have to move some of these, some of the, the teachers out of the way and let the learners step forward. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Because when teachers find out how much more learners learn and that we can't do an, a one size fits all in the classroom and nowhere else in our lives. No, we're always making uh, space for diversity, for diversity. So certainly we need to do that in our classrooms. And so once they are aware, they, they come into an awareness. And that's why I spent so much time in the, in the book talking to African-American learners about who they are and how they are valued outside of the classroom. But when you step inside of the classroom, it's like you're in a different world. And you start to be punished and you start to be expelled from school. And it's just, it's, it's not a good fit for those learners, but it's not a good fit for most learners. And the, the good thing about 
trying to find something that works for African-American learners is that it works for all learners. That's the beauty of it. For instance, in cooperative learning, cooperative learning is a strategy, strategy that has been uh, researched, I don't know how many times. And every time it shows that African-Americans and Latinos reap the most, but everybody d does well with that. So why aren't we using that in our classrooms? So when we talk about, when I talk about African-Americans, African-Americans are doing poorly in the system. And I don't want us to continue to think that because we're doing poorly in a system that is working against us, that there's something wrong with us. So that's why it's so focused on African-Americans, because we got we to gotta bring them up. We got to free them up so that they can be who they are in these classrooms and and experience education, not training, education. And I love this quote that I put in the front that was from um, Frances Cress Welsing when she says, I won't rest until black children are taught to love themselves as themselves. This is Frances Cress Welsing. And she's absolutely right. I love that. Because you also you also talked about that having like a self hating mentality. I believe it was on mm -hmm. page sixty one. Mm -hmm. You talked a lot about that, and for so long, some of us have had that type of mentality. And we're taught and it hasn't that. been broken. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Taught that kids kids learn it. You know, we talk about those little kids who didn't like the doll that looked like them, and so yeah, so they. I mean, they learned that these were preschoolers when that first that that test was done for the first time. These were right. Now this was back in the early before the fifties. So where did they television wasn't that that prominent? Right. So that's so that's an indication of how systemic and endemic this racism is. Because they they weren't even in school. So where they, they had picked up this hate for themselves and, and this appreciation and like for European Americans. So it's an, it's some heavy duty um, sort of indoctrinating that we've gone through, and we're going to have to. Uh, they used to have these classes in Oakland called "Unlearning Racism," so we're going to have to unlearn some of the indoctrinating that we've gone and have been under in our periods in this period of oppression that we've been under for all you know all these years. So and so will our white friends have to do the same thing. They've got to look at um, correcting history, and uh, you know, abandon the lies. And that might be very hurtful for some people, but it's got, it's got to happen. And we're not and see that the thing that liberating teaching and learning does it allows the learners to go ahead and do what they need to do uh, for themselves, while the teacher does what she needs to do for herself. Because I want the teachers to be helped as well. Because we're We've trained them in ways that have not been the best for everybody. Now, many teachers are at this point, if not doing pretty much this, because this is 21st century teaching as well. I think the big point is the, the issue that may be a little different here is that teachers and learners are planning with um, planning together every day and that Teachers have, learners have choice in what they do or how they do it, what they learn or how they learn it every day. That's the difference. And so we won't, I don't know 
I, I, when I did due diligence, I didn't see anything that was being done exactly like that in the country. But people are near there because this is 21st century learning, as I said. So we're, we're, we're getting there. There's hope. <laughs> yes, I think we are getting there. I, yeah. do, I do think, I, would, I do believe there is hope for mm-hmm. our future and our youth because they're very bright and they're very smart. And speaking of that, That's you were talking about those geniuses. And I love yes. those stories about those yes. kids, <laughs> about those yes. young kids who are just so successful. Um, especially, but I think you you talked about the one that was I was sharing these stories with my sister too, and the one that really yeah. stood out to me, I was like, "Wow!" I think you said it was a five year old who was in high school. Yes, um, yes, <laughs> yeah. I loved that story. <laughs> Absolutely, and the and the the two year old who was speaking was she two or four? Oh, really? right. Yeah, speaking Spanish, knowing her numbers in Spanish, et cetera. And the 13-year-old who had um, a, a technology company that at age 13 it started a technology yeah. company. And then a couple of years yes. later, it was worth around $3.5 million. Right. That's totally yes, inspiring. that was amazing. Absolutely. And the young lady who didn't, um, what was in the uh, DS, um, I think Marley, yes. Marley's from Jamaica, so she was named after um, the reggae singer. So she got tired of seeing these books that talked about, in her words, white boys and their dogs. And she started finding oh, yes. Yes, right. finding books about, <laughs> about herself and, and people that looked like her. But then that didn't do it for her. She also decided she wanted to write her books. And so at you know, 12 right. years, she was publishing books. So it's just a wonderful. And I think about this book, too. It's, it's very conversational and action-oriented. And I'm not providing um, a lot of answers. Sometimes I'll just put something out there and then just leave it. I want, and then sometimes I ask them, go find out more about this. So with these youngsters, I ask them to find out what they're doing now. Because the material I got might not have been as current as today. So find out what those, what those um, little geniuses are doing. Find other geniuses so that you can be proud of and you can start talking about and um, and support and showing I'm showing them off, so that others will know because things won't change too much until people see. A, I'm talking about in that in that classroom and people seeing um, who we are outside of the classroom differently is when we start producing differently. When we start sharing, and let me give you an example that's that hasn't anything to do with my book, but it has to do with um, this idea of uh, reparation. Because when we used to talk about reparations, we were talking about it as um, being paid for enslavement. But as you learn and you talk about rebuilding the country um, um, on the backs of, of us as enslaved people is what I'm trying to say. But when you start talking about how many times our towns, and it wasn't just Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it wasn't just Rosewood, how many times our towns were burned down our, our resources, our businesses, and people burned alive. All those kinds of things are the things that have to be put in the mix when we start talking about reparation. It's not just one thing. There are a lot of things in the riots that we had to endure. And they talk about us rioting, the riots that occurred. But that's when we're going to learn these things when we, talk, when we start learning about our history so that everybody can be informed. And when you become informed, you respond differently. Knowledge is power. 
So you respond differently. So uh, yeah, so we're going to have to we're going to have to create some different ways for us to to show what we know and and uh, get our American history out there without the lies. I love that, and I, I one thing I wanted to share with you. One of my favorite parts of this book, mm-hmm. and I got you know I got a little a laugh. Okay. Laugh out of it was when you were talking about your experiences in South Africa. Yes. And you you uh, you talked about you talked about the word oh knock knock off knock off yeah <laughs> yes. yes now that was it was hilarious to me and then it dawned on me because a lot of times in in um you know a lot of times when people are talking about these labels and when they're talking about these name brands um you'll say like oh i don't want to knock off or people will bash other people for having fake mm. jordans having fake purses and right. all these other things are oh like that that's not a value because you know it's a knockoff but Really, it dawned on me because it made me think that, you know, the European Americans really were the knockoffs because it still happens today where our culture is being appropriated. They're imitating us. And it's like, well, how can you talk about something not being of value or something not being good enough because it's a it's, you know, it's a knockoff. But you are the knockoffs. You are the original knockoffs. Exactly. So it was funny to me because you were, you were talking about you were asking them, "Well, did you guys get your non you know knockoff?" Right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And here they are trying. Some of us, you know, don't like who we are, don't want to be who we are, but we're the original people. So if we look at it from that way, and we were approaching it also from this way, that if we look at it that way, then everybody else are knockoffs. Yeah. And I didn't know what they meant right. by that when they first started talking about it. Yeah, it was it was neat. Yeah, yeah, that that, that I got a kick out of that. I <laughs> thought that was very <laughs> very funny because um, I was listening to another black gentleman speak, and he was talking about for so long how many so, and we some of us still are not all uh, of us, but uh, right. there's quite a few of us are who are really so caught up in this materialistic lifestyle because for so long, you know, we were told that we weren't beautiful. We were ugly. Like we weren't going to amount to anything. And we thought like, okay, if we go buy, you know, these expensive cars and these clothes and these jewelries before we buy property, before we buy homes Mm -hmm. or things like that, Mm-hmm. that add values to us mm-hmm. that first you know for some reason we're going to be respected by your Europe, um european americans because we have these these fancy things in our life right. <laughs> but exactly. that's not the case that's right and some people still have that and it's like we're still supporting these labels we're still supporting these brands that don't really care about us mm-hmm. but they're still profiting off our faces or profiting off our our abilities you're absolutely <laughs> right you're absolutely right and eventually in fact I, I there's the thing that's happening now with us having to having to be at our homes having to rethink what's happening in this world happening to ourselves when resetting and coming out uh, and evolved people i think we will shed just naturally some of that because you know right now we don't i'm i'm thinking that we're not out there trying to buy these things because some of the stores are not even open so you're going to look at life a little differently in a lot of ways. And that's why I'm just so hopeful about education as well, because we'll be looking at what we need to have in our lives and what we don't need to have in our lives. And we do need education in a different way. And some of these things we think we need, we don't really need. And that's what we realize as we are um, 
locked down and doing some reflecting and introspection. Yes. And another question I had for you, because you talked a lot about, um, you know, testing certain students. And then you were saying, you know, students can't even, you know, read these tests. And then they, you know, they're not, they don't even understand what's going on or what's happening, that they're not able to be in, you know, the same classroom as their peers. And you also talked about sometimes those students that they would put into special classrooms were excelling a lot more Mm -hmm. (laughs) than the students that were in the regular uh, classrooms. And Um, it kind of made me think of my experiences in schools and just Mm -hmm. what kind of continues to happen today. And it kind of is, I don't necessarily believe in testing because I don't Mm -hmm. really think it can measure a student's ability for a variety of different um, reasons. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. Why doesn't that method work, but we're still using it? (laughs) Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here in total is that we're just using things because we've been using them. And that's why we have to stop and reflect and talk about exactly what is it that we need? How do we need to do things differently to serve everybody? Because the, see, the tests were designed to measure the skills and the knowledge that someone else has. And if they haven't, they put it in you. They try to put it in you. It's not there. You can't, you can't put it out there if it's not there. And that's the only way that they are measuring you. So they want you to show what they want you to show the way that they want you to show it. And that's what sometimes is difficult because if you can't read, it doesn't mean you can't think. That doesn't mean you can't plan. That doesn't mean you can't survive because you can't read. But what it does say to them, though, is that you've got a problem. And yeah, I mean, you have a, you, if you want to look at it as your inability to read, but it doesn't mean that that doesn't this automatically translate into a mental disability because you can't read and because you only testing me in using this one measure. So tests are biased and tests are culturally biased. So it's, that's one example of how they are culturally biased. You give me this test and you tell me that I need to tell you this information in only one way. And if it's writing, that may not be my strength. And I have no other way to show you. No, that's a, that's bias. Yeah, that's bias. That's why I like this notion of having learners tell you what they know, tell you what they learn in their own way. That's a real, that has proven for me to be a very powerful little way. And I teach my reading classes that way as well. This, this whole structure is um, used to teach reading to learners, struggling readers, And they learn so quickly because in this lesson, these lessons, I have to teach them certain things because they're trying to learn to read. So let's say they've got to know the letters of the alphabet. So yes, they got to know the letters of the alphabet, their sounds and et cetera. But I don't have to show them how to learn it all. They can decide how they want to learn it. And it comes from within when it comes from within, then you don't have to worry about whether they got it or not. And they and we just redesigned that that old alphabet chart that was started back at the same time school started. And believe it or not, the first the A for Apple, remember in that alphabet chart? Yes. For Apple. That is that was started way back there in, in the 17th, 18th century. That's wow. when that started. And we're still using it. 
So we recreated the alphabet chart and put it in a way that learners get to choose the words that they want to learn. And they are all words that um, will help them to make good words later on. It's really neat the way it's done. But yeah, and and they and but and they get to choose, you see. So once they choose and they they work in groups, but once they choose the the word that works for them to help them to remember what they need to remember, they then they get on it and they do it. And when they are writing, they write about what's important to them and we have a strong social justice component to it. And they must talk about things that are in their schools that are not right, the things that are in their communities that are not right, and change them. They write. They read and write to change them. That's their reading. They get to choose what they want to read. So they read about their history and their culture and interest. And then they get to, they have reading passages that help them to think critically about the things that are happening to them in their communities. You know, racism and oppressive, oppressive kinds of uh, practices that occur that they never thought of necessarily, and what you can do about them. So that's their writing. So they don't just write arbitrarily or think about some made-up trite situation. No, they find a situation that they are interested in changing, and they change it. They can do that either individually or with groups, with pairs, or however they choose. Yes. Now, speaking of your reading programs, because I know there's going to be a lot of people who are very interested in this interview, teachers, education, parents who are, you know, looking to kind of change mm-hmm. their child's education. Um, can you tell people more about your, your reading program and where they can go to get more information, especially if they're um, looking to improve their child's reading? Exactly. Um, reading Our Way is the name of the website reading our way and it is designed for struggling readers Um, one of the things that um, that i found out is as people were working we uh, in the community were working with learners well we found out that they um, we were doing certain other things with them trying to help them in other ways but they couldn't read also and reading is so critical you know that we've got to be able to read in order to do anything especially in the information age um as it is now. I mean, it's just, you got to know how to read. And well, also, as I was going through the school system, seeing that our children were like the lowest performing um, in, in the reading and literacy and that kind of thing. So I knew that there was a grave need and I've done a lot of tutoring in my communities over the years. So we had, to, so I wanted to do something about it. And my, one of my girlfriends challenged me, so why don't you do it? And I thought, well, why not? So I just put some lessons together. They are foundational lessons because what we know, when people are struggling with reading, they are struggling at a certain point. And they all share that point. And this is what I mean. You learn to read in grades first, kindergarten first, second, third. That's when you are learning to read. So if you don't know how to read, you've got to go back and learn those things in order to learn to read. So that's where we work. That's where we, we do our lessons. Our, we're doing them foundational lessons, we call them. They are learning. You're learning phonics, yes. And I know this this major debate. I don't care how old you are. If you are struggling with reading in this program, you will, you will go back to where you learn to read. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You go back to where you learn to read. So you have to learn those, those things that you didn't get in grades first, second, and third, and fourth, maybe. So um, 
They learn in groups, and it was designed originally, and, and it still is, for professionals who were working with kids but didn't have a way to teach them to read when they knew that they couldn't read. So because you might be doing something after school with these learners or on Saturdays with these learners, we needed to have, we needed to be able to work the learners in groups, several of them at one time. So that's, they're structured in groups. Plus we know that they, African-Americans work well, all people work well in groups. And so they learn to read a lot faster that way. And we wanted it to happen quickly. So they have good reading, reading results. Uh, we're actually, um, I did it a lot more in the community than I've done it online here. But that's where they can go and find the lessons, readingourway.com. Yes, thank you. Um, this interview has very been, has been mm-hmm. very enlightening and informative. I'm not only to myself, I'm pretty sure everyone else, my audience and viewers who will be listening. I also wanted to ask you, because a lot of times I've heard a lot of black people say like, oh my goodness, you know, um, especially when it comes to kind of that toxic energy um, white people have kind of put out into this environment. It's like, why do I have to teach you everything? <laughs> I've heard a lot of black people say that, like, we're just, oh, I'm, I'm tired of always having to teach you. Like, you should know enough about your history. So I wanted to ask you, what books would you recommend <laughs> for European Americans yeah. to read? <laughs> well, yeah, well, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sort of like, um, well, I have a, there are just lots of books um, that I'm recommending in, in my um, book. And I will give you a few of those. But let me just say this. This is my favorite historian is Carter G. Woodson. And he wrote his book, this particular book, Miseducation of the Negro in 1933. He is so spot on with his information about what was happening to us then and is still happening to us now that the book is so current. So that is, and I don't, I'm not talking about just black people. I'm talking about the European Americans as well. Anybody, I recommend that book first of all. And then I'm going to share a few authors because I think that way might be, then you can go and look at, so look at Carter G. Woodson, Look at the authors, and then you can choose the books that you think might be um, appropriate for you and and whomever else you want to recommend books or use books with. So, um, no, Wayne Nobles is a, a gentleman in the San Francisco area, Oakland area, who I learned a lot from, and I would just say find some of his work online. Wade, Doctor Wade Nobles, is um, was very informative, very helpful to me in my studies, and he used to have these wonderful um, sessions in Oakland where he'd bring in all of these professors, all of these people from great historians from around the country, and that's where I learned a lot from, too, where he would come in, they would come in and speak to us, and we would learn so much. So he's a person to do, um, take a look at some of his work. And um, you know, Tim Wise is somebody, I don't know what Tim is doing now, but he was somebody who is European-American who talks to his people, to, Euro- okay. to European-Americans. And really, yeah, really helps them a lot with with what's going on with us in this, in this, in this fight, in this uh, situation. Um, let me see. Um, 
who else would I recommend here? Those would be some of the main ones, but let me go to my list on African-American history because that is a, a list of, of, of major authors like um, African, the mother of Western civilization by uh, Joseph Ben Johanna is a really good book. And uh, talking about when you start getting into, you know, was were, when did we come here before the Mayflower is a good book to read. Too. It's just a historical book, but that book is by Leon uh, Leron Bennett Jr. Uh, let's see. Oh, and um, Francis Cress Welsing. That's my lady too. James Baldwin is my man as well. So there are just a lot of um, George James who wrote Stolen Legacy. Talks about the the Greek what what happened to the the uh, mysteries down in Egypt and where did the Greek philosophy comes come from? So he's one to take a look at as well. So get the book and take a look. Um, and of course, you know, the libraries are putting out books now and et cetera, et cetera. So they're, they're, they're plentiful for as of now. Thank Yes. Thank you so much. I'm, you know, I'm taking note of some of those books as well. Okay. And like I said, I've, I've enjoyed the book. It was very easy for me um, to follow. And um, I've taken my own notes and I'm pretty sure people around my age. And just like I said, my audience, black people who are wanting to know more just about their history and further their knowledge mm -hmm. are going to enjoy that. And those are some good, uh, there's some good tools and resources in this, this book. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes. And, and it's important for me for, to hear you say that because you're a young woman. And thank you, too, for what all the work that you're doing and what you do for those learners when you get into those in that classroom. But I, yes. And thank you for everything you've done as well. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. Absolutely. But young people are giving me hope. I mean, you guys are on it. You are on it. You got it. And that just makes me, um, helps me to relax a little bit because now I know that the, that the mantle has been taken up and you are not going to stop. You are not going to stop. Get in those classrooms and uh, see what's going on and change things. Yes, I, I agree. I hope, um, you know, more black educators, more people of color, I really want us to uh, challenge these schools. And like you said, like these schools need to fit the needs of the child. The child shouldn't exactly. have to adhere to whatever standards they think they need to follow. The schools need to fit the needs of every learner because we're all different. We all learn different types of ways. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why when you free them up and allow them to make these choices, we teachers don't have to try to do it for them because see, it sounds insurmountable when we say that we need to meet all the needs of the students and students in these various ways and let them, you know, learn what they want to learn and how they want to learn and they learn different and they have all these other diverse needs. Absolutely. They do. And we can't deny them. We can't snuff it out because that's the truth. But what we can do is allow them to become empowered by making choices and learning what they need to learn in order for them to thrive in their environments and learn the way they need to learn. <laughs> yes, I, I, I agree. Um, and, and lastly, before, you know, we get out of here, when we were talking about, you know, them just yes. sticking to a conventional a style, the example I gave to my sister, I said, now, if, you know, 
it's friends or family and we all make the decision that we're going to meet somewhere for lunch or we're all going to this one destination. I'm going to go the route that I think is the quickest and the easiest for me. I'm not going to tell the next person that you have to go my route. If it's going to, if it's going to take me 15 minutes to get there, I'm not going to tell them to drive on my side of town. That's going to take them an hour and 45 minutes to get to wherever it is. They're going to go. You're going to take whatever route. It just wouldn't make sense for you to go out the way to get to the same destination. We all have a different route (laughs) to get to the same place. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't need to, um, everybody doesn't need to know everybody's route. Right. (laughs) Right. And know how to drive it either. (laughs) So, yeah. So absolutely. That's what it's about. Freedom. You need to have a a more of an open mind. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And so I, I'm glad. I think a, a lot of Black people in education and just Black people, you know, overall, what, no, no matter what, you know, field you're, you're in, we really need to challenge these people because it's not only happening in education, it's happening in, you know, in other career fields absolutely. as well. <laughs> yes, it is. It absolutely is because this, you know, you're following the same system. Yes, thank you so much. This has been a phenomenal um, conversation. Again, if you were tuning in, you were listening to this, you are listening to Lee Peeped It. And today my special guest was Dr. Betty Haysbert, but I, I call her Aunt Betty. Um, she's family. Yes. <laughs> so she's um, Aunt Betty to me. I hope you guys have enjoyed the conversation. And before we do in this conversation, Aunt Betty, can you please um, tell everyone you know where they can follow you or where they can keep up with your work and what you have going on? Yes, I am on Facebook and Instagram. And um, of course, my website has most of my information on it. So those are the areas that you can where the the platforms that you can you can find me on and actually supposed to be. I'm getting used to this. I'm not really there yet in posting um, information and et cetera, but I'm working on it and just um, look at the website and you'll see. You know, the symbols will tell you where I am and check me out and you'll see what's there. Because sometimes, as I said, I'm just getting this going now. So I'm not I'm not out there all the time with information. But that's I am on Facebook and um, Instagram for sure. Yes, perfect. And I will also go ahead and like put the link to your website. Um, once this episode is published and it's out there for people to listen to, I'll make sure I okay. put the link in the description of uh, the episode. And also, you guys, you can purchase the book on Amazon paperback, and it's also available on Kindle. So I can provide that information as well in the okay. link. But thank you so much. I enjoyed um, this conversation. It was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. And thank you for your work again. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you. You have a good afternoon. You are listening to Lee Peeped It with the Topic Queen. Make sure you follow on all platforms, all major platforms. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also email us at wepeacherfirst at gmail dot com and you can follow us at we peeped it first on instagram and twitter so i hope to hear from you guys and i hope that you have enjoyed this special episode the more differently we educate the more different the results will be we need different results dr betty haysbert thank you and i'm off until next time <laughs>